0: Parenting is work, like a lot of work, and it can be easy to feel like no one understands. As a mom of two with twins on the way, I'm here to tell you that at the end of the day, we're all figuring it out as we go. You are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is No Seriously. How do I do this? Welcome. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're here today. We're going to have a conversation that I hope you can relate to. And I'm I'm pretty confident that you can because whether or not you have experienced the specifics of what Tahisha experienced as a single mom, raising teenagers, as a mom of color, et cetera, there are certain things that we all have in common on this parenting journey. One is that we're all working really, really hard not to screw up our kids. (laughs) And we're not quite sure we're pulling it off. right, we look at our own example. I look at my own example. I look at where I've been. I look at the things that I've done and I so desperately hope my kids don't go down that road too. Every time I look at my five-year-old and I see all the ways that we're similar that are good, there's that part of me that's like, I wonder if she's gonna take on the bad stuff too. So we have that fear. We have that anxiety. We have that pressure that we put on ourselves especially, but that is something that we have in common. And so I'm really excited to talk to Tahisha today. Today, about what it's like to raise children amidst cultural adversity, amidst personal adversity, in situations that are less than ideal. How do you manage to raise strong children that trust in the Lord? And so sit back, enjoy the conversation. I hope you are as blessed by it as I know I'm going to be. Okay, so it was, yeah, it was 12 years ago that I first met you. And I remember when I first met you Tahisha, that you were just like this beacon of light. Like you were just this, well, especially because I wasn't right. (laughs) Like at the time we met, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have any of that. And you were just like this, this sweet superhero. Um, but like, I don't know, like any superhero, I love to hear their origin stories. And so I just want to have you start by just telling me where you came from. What's your story?
1: So I came from a little small town, just east. Oh no. West (laughs) of downtown Chicago, Maywood. Um, I attended one school from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. Same school for high school. That was kind of my mom's thing. We never moved around. She was kind of planted. She kept her feet really solid on the ground. And that wasn't just in school. That was in everything. Um, Stability was a huge thing for her. So um, that spilled over into everything as kids, um, school, church, family, friendships, just a really, really stable environment. And I think that was because um, she was a single mom. And so in a lot of ways, that is an unstable situation. So she intently created as much stability as she possibly could for us, um, And I was born and raised in one church. I attended that church from the time I was born, as far as I know, um, until I left for college. And that meant vacation Bible school, um, Sunday school, and Sunday morning service. It meant four o'clock program or Baptist training union. It meant choir rehearsal. Just literally, we were almost those kids where if the doors were open, We had to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we enjoyed it. She made us like it. Um, And I think we enjoyed it because she was really, really intentional about the way she lived. So she lived what she taught, and it made us want to do it because she made it look like it was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. That was—church was truly the highlight of her life, like work and church. That was really all my mother ever did. And so— as a kid, I grew up um, in my church, a very, very traditional Baptist church. I should say, a very traditional African American Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that really kind of saturated everything about our lives. Um, we were normal kids. We were not perfect by a long shot. And when I say we, I mean my sister and I. Um, I grew up with just my sister, who is nine years older than I am, and that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like having two mothers, essentially, because my sister is, by the time I was eight, my sister was gone away to college. So um, I really grew up kind of as an only child. There, My earlier years, I had my sister there. Well, she left going to college when I was, I think, nine, and then she came back from college And when I went to seventh grade, she moved to Atlanta, Georgia. So I really grew up like an only kid. But when she was home, my mother allowed her to party. You know, she allowed her to have friends. She was really liberal in a strict kind of way. So it was always, she never really kept us from being a part of things with our friends. But it was very clear that we could not be a part of what they were doing. So you can go out and party with them, but you cannot drink when you go. You can go hang out with them at the beach, but if they're smoking, you had better not smoke. So, you know, it was religion and church and all of that always played a part in everything that we did. And even though she's the sweetest person in the world, we feared her. We There was a fear, not in the sense that she would ever do anything to harm us, but when she said something, she meant it. And she made us feel like we would disappoint her. And we did not want to disappoint her. So you listened. Like you didn't party when you partied. We listened so much. So my sister is a 50-year-old virgin. But I was the rebel kid. (laughs) (laughs) I was a rebel kid. I mean, but I I listened to show you the fear that she instilled. It was always, if you go out there and you do wrong, it's God's people who are punished first. Because you know better, so you have to do better. When you Mm. don't do better you're punished more swiftly, you're going to get pregnant. That was, I mean, like, it was just that cut and dry. <laughs> it was, so that was kind of, you know, how she taught us. And so and we believed her. We really did. I went away to college, and then it was like, I'm free. I can do what I want to do now. So let's see, what can I do? She said, go left. I'm going right. You know, she said, don't turn that way. I'm turning. <laughs> just to, Maybe something won't happen the way she said, but I got to find out for myself. I used to. I don't as much now. In my younger years, I did. Now I know better. It's like if she says it, just listen. She's right. Always right. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it wasn't until probably the college years that I started to kind of experiment with boys. And gosh darn it, she was right. So at 19, after I finished my first year of college, I get pregnant with my oldest son. Oh, (sighs) She was right. (laughs) And I didn't have to tell her. I didn't have to tell her. She knew. She waited for me to tell her. She knew way before I ever said it. And she was disappointed. She was hurt. But she's the type where I scold you in one breath and build you up in the next. So it's like, I have to let you know that you're wrong. But in that, I also have to show you that I'm still behind you 100%. I'm still your biggest supporter. As much as she was disappointed, she told the world, I'm going to be a grandma. I'm going to have a Grandma. I'm having a grandson. You know, that was like the highlight of her everything, I think, for a while. But she was hurt. And so she went to our pastor for counseling, and she dealt with, you know, her own thing. But she also was my biggest supporter. Mm -hmm. And so when it was time to have the baby, I came home, I had the baby. And unlike most mothers, she's like, nope, you get to go back to college now with your baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I will go and help you find an apartment. And we'll make sure it's really nice and we'll get it set up. But you still got to go to school and you get to take your baby.
0: Oh, I love her.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's and she's always been that way. And I did. I went back and I took my son with me and it was hard. It was really, really hard. But just as much as I am a rebel, I'm determined. So then it became, now I got to show the naysayers. You know, that I'm not going to drop out, that I am going to graduate. And I don't care how long it takes me, even if it takes me 20 years, I'm going to graduate. And so I just kept at it. I really kept at it. And it was really hard. I mean, I worked two jobs at one point while I was going to school full time. With a baby at home. With a baby. Yeah. So I was working full time in the morning, waiting tables. And then I'd go to school midday. And then I'd get a couple hours of sleep and then go work overnight at the hospital. Wow. And I did that for like two and a half years. So it was, it was rough. Like my kids have no excuse. Like they, they get no mercy from me, (laughs) none at all. Took a break from school for maybe two years. And then I, and I relocated to Atlanta with my sister and lived with her and being a rebel a year, maybe after I moved there, I got pregnant with my daughter Mm. and I had my daughter and I kept going to school. So now I have two babies in tow a four-year-old and a newborn. Then I just kind of figured out that it was easier at home. I needed the support from my mom. I didn't want to hold my sister's life up. I ended up starting over as a freshman all over again and then finishing in three and a half years. So I crammed my four-year education, really my five-year education is essentially what it would have been, into three and a half years because I just was done with school by then and I wanted the degree. I had to prove to my kids like that I was going to finish what I started. And I blinked and then I had teenagers like I don't even the the in-between between between graduation and my kids becoming teenagers is a blur. Total and complete blur. But somewhere in there I had my third child. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's time to go back and get another degree. (laughs) (laughs) The rest just seems like it's all a blur. My life has been children at school somehow. And I'm, I worked a couple of jobs in there. I might have started a career or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somewhere in somewhere there. Somewhere in there yeah. I
1: started a career. I might have, you know, dated somebody or something. I don't know.
0: So I, I think, you know, when we look back at our past, because I, I similarly rebelled and had my my journeying. But I think that in the midst of that, we can look back and be like, man, I really, I veered. You know, I forgot who I was. I didn't follow those things that I said I was going to follow. But in the same breath, we also can't really regret it because your children, you know, wouldn't be your children if you had kept that straight and narrow, right? God uses our wanderings. God uses those moments in our life where we go off program. And it doesn't mean we're we're glad necessarily we did, but we are glad that we serve a graceful God who is able to turn those seasons around. And so for you, was there... Was there fruit beyond your children? Can you look back at your life and be like, you know what? Because I went through this, this happened. This this beautiful thing that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Do you have examples where that's true for you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I often tell people that this journey is not mine. That I was put on this journey for everybody else that I would meet along the way. Yes. Because there was something in the things that I faced— that they will need to glean from. I gleaned from someone and someone will need to glean from me at some point. And I tell people all the time, you can never minister to people if you haven't been through anything. It's very difficult to effectively minister if you've lived in a bubble because a lot of your wisdom comes from adversities. You have things happen and you're faced with some of the most challenging things in your life And those are actually the things that ministry is birthed out of. One thing in particular, um, along the way, the different relationships that I had with guys who really didn't recognize who I was or what my worth was because I didn't recognize what my worth was. I realized that the experiences that I had with them was because I needed those little things that I learned along the way to make me who I am now. I pulled strength from those times when I was really weak. There were dark moments where there was just a glimmer of light, and I fought to get to that light. And on the other side of that was a lesson. But had I not been through that horrible situation, I would have never needed the little glimmer of light that I found.
0: And through that, through that, realizing that you had forsaken your worth or had not seen your worth or had forgotten your worth, you built something really beautiful to help other women be aware of theirs and to find it in Christ. And so tell me, tell me about that. Tell me about that mission.
1: That is um, a group that started as a virtual place for women to gather and to be celebrated and to um, journey to becoming whole and knowing who they are as not only as women but as women who are fearfully and wonderfully made mm-hmm. in the image of Christ you won't when you think of yourself in that way as a woman you won't accept just anything how can you in one breath say i'm fearfully and wonderfully made and in another breath allow yourself to be treated less than like a queen it it really forces you to take on this persona, it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a way of life. And so it, and not every woman along the way is at that point, but it became my mission to help them get there. And being on Facebook and spending a lot of time there, as most of us do, um, a lot of unnecessary time, the things that I was seeing were just so heartbreaking, so awful in a lot of cases. And women were just being portrayed as as catty and divisive. It was just awful. And seeing that coupled with what was being portrayed of women on television, women were just portrayed in such a horrible light in a lot of ways. Girls were seeing this. And so I was hearing more and more young women say, oh, I don't associate with women. I don't associate with girls because girls are a lot of trouble. Girls don't do anything but fight. Girls are messy because that's what they were seeing. That's what they're being fed. This group became a place where it could be just the opposite. What started out as a group of about 45 friends turned into six or 700 and that grew to 13 or 1400. And now we're somewhere right around 25 or 2600. So it just keeps growing and growing. But women are hungry. They're thirsty for camaraderie and for sisterhood and for positive reinforcement and for enlightenment and just for somebody to say hey you you are enough period that's a whole sentence god loves you even if nobody else does and that's enough i began getting inbox messages from women who wanted advice who wanted me to pray for them who wanted to give me life experiences And it has been a beautiful journey. It really has. Um, I didn't want it to just stop with being a virtual thing because so much of what we do is controlled by a phone or a computer and we lack human interaction in a lot of ways. And so it started with an event that turned into two events that turned into three. Um, And then I started challenging myself to see, okay, what can I do next? How can I make the next event better than the one before.
0: And, and what's beautiful, my favorite thing about God is how he can take what we offer him as broken, as measly as it is, and he can turn it into something special. So, so you wandering in college, if you had never gone that route, if you had never laid your own worth down at the feet of, of random men who didn't appreciate it, you wouldn't have thought to help other women strengthen their own identity. I, I just, I, I love how God does that. But I've got to ask, so we know that God can redeem those situations. That being said, you have a 17-year-old daughter. I do. Is there a part of you that is afraid she's going to walk the road you walked?
1: Absolutely.
0: So even though you know that God can redeem the Every road, day. you still are worried that your daughter is going to choose that path.
1: I don't know that it's worry as much as I know that there is just the possibility because at a certain point you can't protect them. Mm-hmm. And you just have to trust that you've given them enough little nuggets along the way. You've shown them an example. And I know that I've not been even remotely close to the example that my mother gave us. Um, While I have been very careful about what I show her and I'm always very intentional to lead by example, she knows that I had three children before I was married. We knew my mom had three children before she was married, but the example, she walked a very straight and narrow road um, where I am probably a little less tight, that we gathered what we needed to gather from my mom. She has now gathered what she needs to gather from me. I just don't know what that is and how she internalizes it, how she interprets what she sees. And so um, there's always a part of me that you know wonders and prays daily, Lord, don't let her follow that path. And so I talk to her very openly, very candidly, about what that experience has been for me so that she understands. And then coupled with that, always just reinforcing the fear and admonition of God so that she gets it. Doing the best job that I could of, you know, saturating their lives with what they needed so that when it becomes time for them to make their own decisions, and here we are, she's right at that age, um, that they will prayerfully make the right decisions. Will she? We don't know. You know, I, I don't know. But I, I also cannot control that either she has to have her own life experiences. She's going to bump her head and I have to let her bump it because yes. there's something else down the line that she's going to have to get from bumping her head there.
0: Now, I, I grew up, Tahisha, with a, a mom who is always very honest with me. I, I was born out of wedlock as well. That being said, I've always tried to be very open and honest with my kids about the things that they're seeing, whether it's my own failures or whether it's what's going on in the world. And I I just think for me, and I just want to affirm that in you, that there's something about the example we set for our kids, not when we live perfectly, but when we show them how to fail well. And I just, I think that in the end, for me, when it came to my mom and the, the way she was honest with me, she's like, this is what I want for your life. You know, my mom loves Jesus. She set that up. She goes, "This is the path I walked, and I wouldn't have you walk that path if I had that choice." Now, ultimately, though, she recognized, like you do, that the choice wasn't hers. I did walk that path (laughs) uh, in many of those ways. In many ways, I veered farther off of it. Um, But having learned that myself, I think that I I can appreciate that example that you're setting for your kids and being honest. No, just recently, I had to make the decision with everything we see going on in the world right now. My children came out. My children now, they're three and five. Okay, so I have little kids. And they saw me crying. This was right after the the George Floyd incident happened and everything was falling apart. And and they said, mommy, why are you crying? And I had to choose. Am I going to be honest? Am I going to tell them what happened? Am I going to tell them what's happening? Or am I going to gloss over it? Because they're too little. So in that moment, I had a a very difficult talk with my three and five-year-old daughters about discrimination, about racism, about hatred, about the state of things that they've never considered before. I do, I do want to ask, your daughter, I understand all the reasons why you are cautious. She's a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> Woo, I understand that. <laughs> but I also want to ask how it is for you raising Black sons in this world that we're in right now. And... How is it, I don't know, easier with your daughter or harder with your... How does that compare?
1: Um, It is a very different feeling for my daughter than it is for my son. With my daughter, um, it's be respectful of who you are. Remember what you learned. Don't allow people to disrespect you. Always govern yourself as a young lady, but more importantly, as a young woman who knows God, um, allow people to see your light. And where with my sons, it's a different conversation, very mm-hmm. different. Yes, all of those same things, you know, respect yourself, respect women. But then there's the extra conversation that I have to have uh, with my eldest, especially not with my youngest as much on the level that he can understand all the same. Yes, the conversation has to be had um, just because, you know, there is the reality that they are black men in the world that we live in today. Um, and they face things that I will never understand, even as a black woman. I will never forget the first time my son came home. Um, he was driving on his own at this point, and he's 21 now, so that he may have been about 17 or 18 at the time. And he had gone out with friends, and he called me. While he was out, actually, and he was talking and I could tell in his voice that something was wrong, but he called me and he said, mom, I'm just calling you to let you know I'm okay. And he's like, we'll talk about it when I get home. With him being a black male in today's society, even before the George Floyd incident, there's always a sense of nervousness when he leaves home by himself. I pray when he leaves out and I'm praying until he gets back home. And the last words that someone in the house almost always says to him before he leaves is be careful. You have one job. Get home safe. Whatever that looks like, whatever the situation is, come home safely. Your job is to come back home to me. In the beginning, when I used to say that to him, he didn't understand it. And he's like, Mom, why do you say that? You know, why do you tell me that? Like, what else am I going to do? I'm going to go have fun with my friends. I'm coming back home to you. He started to understand, as he ventured out more to different areas, what I meant by that. Um, And backtracking to the night that he called me and said, Mom, I just called you to let you know I'm okay. When he got home, he explained to me that essentially he had been racially profiled. He had been driving. It was past his curfew, for sure, um, because it probably was 1.30 or 2 in the morning and he was coming home from a friend's house, driving the speed limit, using all signals, stopped at a red light, took off from the red light, and the police pulled him over. And when they pulled him over, the officer asked him, Do you know why I pulled you over? And he says, No, what did I do? And he's like, Well, really, I'm just pulling you over to make sure you were okay. What do you mean I'm okay? And the officer's like, Go ahead and step out of the car for me. What did I do? I don't even know what I did. And the officer said to him, stop asking me questions. I ask questions. Get out of the car. He sat on the curb for 30 minutes while they searched the car. Hadn't been doing anything other than driving. Um, When it was all said and done, he says, okay, we didn't find anything here. You can get back in the car. Have a good night. Get home safe. Things like that have happened on more than one occasion. He's been pulled out of the car. He's been asked to sit on the curb. He's been handcuffed to a friend while sitting on the curb. No tickets issued, no citations, no court dates, just I pull you over because I feel like it. And that was when I realized that they have experiences that we don't because I have been driving down the street and I'm speeding and I get pulled over and I turn around and flash a smile to the officer and he's like, all right, ma'am, you have a good night. You know, let me see your driver's license and registration. And as long as I can produce that in insurance, I flash a smile and I'm on my way. In that same instance, he's pulled out of the car and on the curb and the car is being searched and just so many other, you know, instances of red tape that I would never have to endure. In light of everything during, especially during the rioting, every time he walked out of the door, I was on pins and needles and it almost got to the point where I didn't want him to leave the house or I wanted him in by dark. It's eye-opening and sombering all at the same time Um, because in all of my teachings and in all of everything that I have tried to instill in them and give them, I could only ever teach him how to be a gentleman. I'm not a man. I could not teach him to be a man. Hmm. I've done what I can to teach him about manhood. But then how do you teach your child that even when you're doing everything right, there still may be instances where you're going to be treated as though you're doing something wrong just because you are who you are. Mm. You look the way you look.
0: I recently had a chance to sit down with some colleagues and we talked about the issue of race and we talked about experiences that they'd had that I, I've i never had. I've never had to consider. And they all knew about the talk. They all it was like this thing. Oh yeah, the talk, the talk. Where you do have to sit, especially your sons down, and warn them and how they need to... Behave and hold themselves and respond even when being faced with injustice. How I, I see in you a lot of look, they've got to make their own decisions. I can't always be there. I'm gonna do the best that I can. How have you instilled in your children that kind of strength where they don't let fear run them? What how how have you
1: managed that? It has always been by example. So when situations come up. If a situation arises where you feel like your life is in danger, resort to prayer. Pray first. Prayer doesn't have to be 15 or 20 minutes long. Sometimes it's just, Lord, I need your help. God, can you help me now? With my son, with him, it's, it's just been to, to lead by example and to show him that everything is not going to always be the way that we expect it. it life won't always be Perfect. And when it's not, sometimes you just have to roll with the punches. You just have to, you know, go with the flow. But respect goes a very long way, especially in dealing with authority and law enforcement. That's been the main thing for me. Be respectful, you know, regardless of what you may be feeling, watch your tone. And you do and say what you need to do and say to come home safe.
0: So with everything that is going on in the world right now, everything you've seen, the protests, the conversations, the good with the bad, do you have hope that it might
1: change? I do. I do. The Bible definitely teaches us an awful lot about having hope. I don't think I've ever been at a point in my life at any point where I was hopeless, even when things were really bad. I personally feel like everything that's happening now is all a part of God's design, it has to occur the way it's happening for there to be change. Is there a lot of change that needs to be had? Yes. But I definitely have hope that change will occur at some point. And it just starts with little conversations like these. Conversations between two people who may not look alike, um, but who are willing to hear each other out, even if we don't agree. Because it's one thing to talk at each other. It's another thing to talk to each other. And if I can just open my ears to hear your perspective, um, then a lot of times I come out with a little more understanding.
0: What advice would you have for that mom who's listening, who's doing this by herself and who just kind of feels overwhelmed by all of it? Whether it's because of a racial background and, and facing cultural adversity head on, in that kind of context or whether she she's just not prepared for teenagers or or whatever it is but she's in this place where she's just feeling desperate and she's just like i don't think i'm strong enough as a woman who has has done this you've raised these children you've raised them well how would you counsel her what would you say to that woman
1: um i think the first piece of advice that i would probably give is learning to accept that it, you don't have to get it all right that you aren't going to get it all right No matter how hard you try, there are going to be instances where you just don't get it all right, and that's okay. And to be open to learning with your children because just like they are learning from us, there are things that we can learn from them. And acknowledging that it's okay to not be okay and to ask for help when you need it. I think so many of us, especially as single mothers, We focus on being independent and strong and having it all figured out when a lot of times we don't um, and we're afraid or too prideful to say, hey, I'm failing miserably, can you help me? Because there are people and resources out there that are there for the purpose of helping. And a lot of times we face unnecessary struggles just because we're too prideful to ask for help. I think a lot of my success in raising my children, and I use that word so loosely, (laughs) Um, my uh, success in raising my children has been because of the support I had. But in those moments when things are falling apart, to recognize that there is always help through prayer and help is not, it's not always going to be fixing it. Sometimes it's just giving you enough strength to get through it. Parenting is, there is no handbook. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they don't give you that, you know, at the hospital when they hand you your bouncing baby. they just No, seriously, how do I do this? (laughs) They kind of just hand them to you and say, good luck. It's accepting your journey for what it is and recognizing that your journey may not look like the next person's. Chart your own territory. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And learn from them. That's the biggest thing. That is probably the one lesson that I try to teach my kids the most. It's okay to make mistakes. We're all going to make them. But the question is, what did you learn from it?
0: Oh, that is so good. That is so, so good. Tahisha, I appreciate so much. You making the trip out here. You spending this time, you sharing your heart. You setting the example that you set, not just for your kids, but for women, for me. Thank you so much for just who you are, who you are allowing God to shape you to be and the example that you are setting. I really appreciate you
1: and your time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, I hope you were encouraged by that reminder that your journey is your journey. It's not going to look like everyone else's journey. And yet, even in that, you are not alone. The need for community is real. The need for support is real and that there is power in prayer. Well, if you find yourself today needing any additional support, Feel free to shoot me an email, summer at seriouslyhow.com. I would love to hear from you. And as always, you can connect with us on Facebook by searching for No Seriously, How Do I Do This? We'll be back in two weeks with our next installment. But until then, know that you are loved and you are not alone.